The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to our midweek podcast, the midweek mailbag, as I guess we're going to start calling it. Uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor. I'm the, nope, I'm the producer at Pride of Detroit slash editor-in-chief. You can find me at Detroit Online. With me this week to, to fill in for Eric, who, who couldn't be here this week, is senior editor at Pride of Detroit, co-host of the POD cast, co-host of First Bite, Ryan Matthews at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan, thanks for joining in. Uh, I know this is a basketball analogy, but all of us watched The Last Dance, right? I'm feeling a lot like Scottie Pippen, and I appreciate that. That's my role. I enjoy it. Hey, if that makes me Michael Jordan, I like that analogy. Well, I think Eric's Michael Jordan. I oh, think you're shoot. more you're more Phil Jackson. Do you like that? He had a pretty good mustache. <laughs> he did. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking like he's dead. He's not dead. I don't think. I'm not trying to break news but, here. But he might not have a mustache anymore. That that might be true. Yeah. Uh, anyways, if this is your first time joining us, we're not going to talk about Phil Jackson the entire time as much as maybe we w- would want to. Uh, we're gonna, we're here to answer your questions live. Um, if you're watching us live here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit, you can throw some comments in the chat and we'll try to answer those. If you aren't able to join us live, always hit up us, uh, hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag ask POD. In fact, that's where we're going to start today uh, because we had a bunch of good questions come in right before we went live. And it's interesting because I don't know if this is a, a sign of the psyche of a, a normal Detroit Lions fans, but I have some people complaining about the offense, maybe not complaining, complaining, but worried about the offense, specifically two players on offense. And no, Ryan, it's not Jared Goff. Let's start with DJ Chark. Shut out of catches in, in last week's game against the commanders. Are you at all concerned about the start for DJ Chark so far? I don't know if I'm concerned about DJ Shark as much as I'm concerned about his usage. Um, I, I think that the promise was coming into the season that the Lions would get somebody who is a vertical threat, right? Somebody who can stretch the field out outside the margins, outside the you know to the boundaries, and that the Lions would also get somebody that would be a big red zone target too, right? Um, sure. Now I'm trying to think really just kind of off the top of my head. I don't have the data in front of me, but. In terms of red zone, right, you know, it seems like the Lions are much more committed to trying to pound the rock in. You know, th- there's there's been a lot of running. There's been a lot of Jamal Williams. There's been a lot of DeAndre Swift. And and most recently, I mean, like, I, I think back to, to the Washington game, you know, I'm on Ross St. Brown. Yep. You know, he, he's he's the uh, benefactor of, of some red zone targets. So I think maybe more so I'm concerned about Sharks usage. I'm not so much concerned about DJ shark. And I think it's kind of reminiscent of the concern that people used to have about Marvin Jones. You know what I mean? Like Marvin, Marvin Jones was a guy who he was there one week and then the next week it, you know, maybe he showed up in the box score for like two catches and, you know, 20 some odd yards. Maybe that's just DJ shark. He's the new Marvin Jones. Maybe. I I think so. I mean, I think this sort of like complaint or worry is going to pop up every few weeks about, someone on the Lions offense just by by nature of having so many weapons, right? Yeah. But I think there there might be something to be said about just the warming chemistry 
between golf and, and shark and endless. And I know we all said it during training camp, like it looked hot and looked like they, they had everything going and rolling. And, and to a degree that's true, but it's different when it's game speed, right? It's different when there's real defenders as, as the players like to say, it's different when the, when the bolts are flying. And so I think it's fair to wonder if maybe the, the, the chemistry is just not there yet because it's not like he's not getting targeted. You know, he had a couple deep shots where golf probably should have hit him and would have been big explosive play. I mean, the guy had a touchdown last week. Let's not act like he's a complete disappearing act and, and he probably should have had, I, I believe he was one of the targets on that, that red zone trip that they turned it over on downs where he probably should have hit it there. And I don't know if he has, is he, if he has a touchdown in back-to-back games, are we, are we concerned about him at all? Probably not. <laughs> No, probably not. Yeah, it's probably a good point. You know, um, I, I think you bring up a good point, though. And I think maybe somebody else who might be suffering from this, and I don't want to touch on it too much, especially if there's a question about it, but like T.J. Hawkinson's also kind of suffering from this too, right? That that was going to be the follow-up question too. And, and yeah, let's move to T.J. Hawkinson because I think, I think maybe there's a little bit more legit concern about the way he's been playing so far. Yeah, and I think it's maybe all phases of his game too, right? Like sure. uh, last week against the Commanders, I know he gets charged with a with a quarterback pressure um, in in pass blocking, and he also has two drops, and that that's really concerning because yeah. here's the thing with Hawkinson, and it's also true about Shark and maybe some of the other kind of peripheral skill position players, but you're only going to get so many chances to get the ball. You're only going to get so many targets, right? Like the guys that you can count on to get heavy usage each week are going to be Amon Ra and DeAndre Swift as long as he's healthy. But like beyond that, I mean, you're really in a competition with a bunch of other guys to get yeah. opportunities and it's only going to get slimmer when, when J-Mo right. is healthy, you know? So right. I, I think the concern about Hawkinson is, I, I think it's warranted. I do think it's warranted. Yeah, I think I think it is too. And and it's not like okay, now the Lions have a, a horrible tight end, but I mean, there is this lingering conversation that's kind of hanging over everyone's head like okay, are are they the Lions going to re-sign this guy or what? And I know I know they have the the fifth year option to to roll out next year, right? There's there's still one more year in his contract, I believe. Um because of that fifth year option, but you know, it, this is around the time you'd be considering giving that guy an extension and it's something that they they said they they've even been thinking about at one point and yeah, he's, he's not proving. And I think you bring up a really good point. Like when, when the ball is going to be spread out so thinly, you better make the most of the opportunities you have. And, and Hawkinson, I think clearly hasn't done that. I mean, he had one really good catch on that very important touchdown drive in the fourth quarter. And it was a good catch. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy catch to make, but that's also one we've seen him drop at least two times this year. And, and I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he leads the team in drops. I know that's an unofficial stat, but I don't know. I, I mean, there, there's plenty of time for him to rebound. And given that I think his blocking in general is still just kind of meh, you know, it's not, it's not a high end blocker. Like, like I think maybe we thought we were getting out of that, that Iowa um, tree of, of great tight ends. But um, yeah, if, if, if your blocking is just meh and your catching is, is suddenly not as good as, as what's expected of you, then well, suddenly maybe you're not a t- top 10 tight end. And again, two game sample size, let's not count them out yet, but I would say it's, a di- it's fair to call it a disappointing start for him. Yeah. All right, let's go to our live uh, chat here. Uh, Katie from Michigan asks, uh, your opinion of Julian Aquara this game? I- I'm still kind of di- diving into the defensive tape myself, but did you have any impressions of, of Julian Aquara after uh, maybe the initial watch? You know, I-, I think the thing that stood out about Aquara is that, and Julian specifically, right, is that, again, well, first and foremost, let, let's talk about him being active, right? Sure. Like the, the decision to 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 put him on the 53 roster for game day, I think was part of the plan because yeah. you, you look at what Detroit wanted to do for a second consecutive week. You know, in, in the first week against Philadelphia, they generate 19 pressures. In week two against the commanders, they generate 31 if you want to put pressure to Carson Wentz, if you want to put his feet to the fire, Julian Aquara is one of the guys that you want out there. And I mean, look, he was third for I'm Detroit yeah. in, in pressures with four. And I, I, I know he got 
I know he had four hurries, but it seemed like he was real close to getting some quarterback hits on some plays. Um, and he was really, I, I think he was effective. And, and that's what you're going to count on Julian O'Quarra to do, right? Is to generate pressure. That's going to be his sole role. Well, he, here's the thing that, that sorry to jump in here, but yeah, the, yeah. the thing that I think puts him in over a guy like Austin Bryant, a guy, you know, Austin Bryant in, inactive for this game because of Julian O'Quarra, but a pretty good pass rusher. Right. But here's the thing. He doesn't bring what Julian brings. And this is this is what I wanted to bring up because I've only watched the first half, you know, the all 22 of the first half. And the, and the initial thing that pointed out that poked out for me with Julian Aquar is how much they dropped him into coverage. Mm. And and listen, the one thing that I think Aaron Glenn really deserves a strong pat on the back for is his ability to diagnose and and come up with blitzing schemes that confuse the defense or the offense. And when you have a guy like Julian Aquara who can do both who can can rush the passer and drop into coverage, well, suddenly you don't know what the hell he's going to do when he's out there. And that that becomes a big weapon in and of itself. Now, was he good in coverage? Not particularly this game, <laughs> yeah. but it's something that's in his wheelhouse more so than I think any other edge defender on this team, right? Well, I mean, we we, we saw what that looks like when other edge defenders are <laughs> right, trying Charles. to, yeah, are, are trying to keep up with Curtis Samuel, right? Um, yeah. And and maybe it's a, it's it's unfair to say that hey Julian Aquara would have handled that a lot better than than Charles Harris but like um, I, I I see what you're saying I, I think another stat that is pretty revealing and and interesting to consider too with Julian Aquara um, so far through and I mean this was only his 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 first game that he had an opportunity to play but something that you talked about in the podcast Jeremy was okay the Lions are scheming up a lot of pressure. I want to see some guys winning some one-on-one stuff, right? Right. Julian O'Quara has a 58.3 win percentage mm. on, on uh, blocking versus um, uh, on non-penalty pass rush snaps. So like his percentage of quote unquote wins versus blocking yeah. on non-penalty pass rush snaps. And that's the highest on the team. Now, granted he has, you know, just one game and it's a right. small sample size, but like, this is a guy who can win one-on-one and they can trust him in, in a different way than they can trust Austin Bryant. And it'll be interesting to see how they balance those two guys, especially once some other guys get healthy, you know, I mean, what right. about Josh Pascal? Right. I mean, how does he fit into the equation? So it's uh, it's, it's interesting to, to see how this develops. All right. Uh, it's, it's Tuesday, uh, which across the NFL is uh, notoriously power rankings day. So clearly Kev asked the, the athletic released new power rankings today. They had the lions 14th too high, too low, or just right. And and in fact, that's not the highest I saw. I saw a 12th amongst the power ranking uh, kind of groupings today. So I, let's start yeah. with 14th. What, what are your thoughts on okay. lions at 14th in the league? Well, I I'm going to immediately throw this back to you because <laughs> as, as, as the resident Viking fan, on staff. Yeah. How much of it impacted last night's game, Philly versus Minnesota, kind of impact your your feelings about the Lions? Because, I mean, that's the Lions opponent next week in Minnesota, and it's the Lions week one opponent that that they really – I mean, they yeah. it was a hard-fought game, right? I mean, they, sure. it was a narrow loss in week one. How are you feeling about the Lions after, after – last night's Monday night football game. I mean, it's impossible to not feel at least a little better. Right. And, and right. listen, I'm not, I'm not one to play the transitive property game where it's like, okay, if, if this team beat this team and we beat that team, that means we're better than this team. Like that's not really how the NFL works since it's such a matchup based game, but the Eagles look damn good, man. And, and I, I said it in the lead up to that game. I, I thought they're, they're kind of a sleeper Super Bowl contender and they haven't done anything to dissuade my opinion on that yet. And so sure. You feel good with the lions hanging with them now. The Eagles were at home last night and the Lions were at home in week one. So that kind of factors into the equation a little bit, but kind of looking at more on the Minnesota side, it's a healthy reminder that, you know, they're still a young team too. They're still in year one of their new head coach and, and, and their new GM and not everything is going to work right away. That being said, the Lions don't have a Darius Slay. Like I don't, I, I I've never seen Justin Jefferson get locked down like that. And the Lions are just not going to be capable of doing that. What they will be capable of doing, I think, is is what really made Kirk Cousins look bad at the end of that game, which is to bring the heat and and make him just th- throw up prayers all over the place. And and here's where I get to like the part where I feel uncomfortable with how optimistic I am about this team right now because I think the Lions are set up in 
I, I think their philosophy on defense makes a lot of sense with the personnel they have, because I think they have really good run defending linebackers and that can get them into really fortuitous downs on third down. If, if they can stop the run on first and second down, suddenly you're staring at a third median third and long. And Aaron Glenn is being an aggressive defensive coordinator so far this year and dialing up blitzes and, and showing different looks. And that's like a recipe to get a lot of three and outs. And we saw it. We saw it in the first half against Washington. And listen, I think that might be the key to beat the Vikings too. If, if you can stop their running game, if you can stop Delvin cook, which is exactly what the Eagles did last week. And that's another thing maybe to feel positive about Delvin cook got stopped in his tracks last night. Deandre Swift went off against the Eagles. And so that's another kind of a check mark. It's like, okay, maybe the Lions' run game is, is, is for real. We're, we're starting to build a lot, a, a, a pretty steady case that this Lions' run game is legit. But anyways, going back to the defense, if you can stop Delvin Cook and and make it so that, you know, Kirk, you, you put the game in Kirk Cousins' hands, well, there are worse things than, than being able to do that. And, and again, like, good receiving core, Lions' defensive backs are going to have to stand up. But we were saying the exact same things about Washington, and it took a while for, for them to get going. And even if they did, like, I don't, I don't think the Lions, I don't feel like the Lions got torn up by Washington's set of receivers. So maybe they have a fighting t- chance against the Vikings. I, I think the defense thing that you bring up is, is, is something to to key in on Jeremy in terms of what Aaron Glenn's been willing to do in terms of scheming up blitzes and, and, and scheming pressure. How much confidence is that put in his secondary. I mean, he's going, he's going zero on a lot of these plays. You're like, right. I, I mean, he's like, Hey, we'll man up on the back end. We're just going to send five, six dudes. And we're, we're going to, we're going to man up outside and, and we're going to let our, we're going to let our defensive backs do what we think we can do cover long enough for the pressure to get home. Yeah. And I mean, when you're, when you're, about to face a team like Minnesota. And like you said, it seemed like the recipe last night for, for Philadelphia was like, Hey, we're going to get after uh, a rather immobile Kirk cousins. We're going to make him feel uncomfortable. And I mean, the dude threw three picks. So probably should have been five or six. Right. I know. So I don't know, just, I I guess to answer the original question, you, you look around the league, there's a handful of teams that are still undefeated. Right. So, I mean, I'm not uh, the, the Buffalo bills, are just in a the class of their own, right? Like they are the class of the NFL. Um, the Dolphins, what they did against, I think is a really good Ravens team is sure. super impressive. And they did that on the road nonetheless. Um, you know, the the Chiefs are really good. I think the Chargers are really good. The Eagles are 2-0. They seem to be like maybe the the toast of the NFC. Um, but I'm not, I'm I'm not thinking 12. I'm not thinking 14 is too high for the Lions right now. It, it's tough because like we, we played this game after week one where it's just like, can you name seven teams better than the Lions in the NFC? Well, we're talking playoffs there, right? Like, right. That, that, that's essentially what we're talking about. Well, right. Cause that 12, I mean, 12 to 14 range that those are your wildcard teams. Yeah. Um, And so in the, in the AFC, like this team is not a contender. I, th- I think we can all pretty comfortably say that there's, there's a lot of really good teams in, in the AFC. But in the NFC, it's just like, I mean, if the Giants can be two and zero, this this can't be a good conference, right? Like, I don't know. I I, I don't want. I, it's obviously way too early to start talking wild card, but it's it. I think that's a lot more possible than you know maybe them winning the division or anything like that, which is not yeah, good. yeah. I agree. All right, we'll, we'll we'll leave any sort of playoff talk there because it's way too early. <laughs> September 20th. This is what happens when the Lions win a game in September. Right? Like where you immediately start talking playoffs. Uh, I almost wrote an article because Football Outsider put initial playoff odds and the Lions are at like 42%. And I'm like, oh, okay. I can take that. I'll take a coin flip. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, speaking of uh, Football Outsiders, interesting question here from Devoted to Detroit on Twitter. He asked, what statistics measurements are best suited to be used when looking at a team's offense? defense and special teams. This is obviously kind of like a, a personal preference type of thing. Um, but he, he throws out DVOA yards per play EPA, which is expected points added or anything else. What, what's, what's your favorite, I guess when, when let's, let's do it on kind of a macro level. Like when you, you want to see offensive rankings, what, what is your efficiency statistic of choice? Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I think it's DVOA. It's been yeah. DVOA for a long time. Um, I think that in terms of measuring efficiency, um, that's that's the place that I go to. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, I, I think that you could even talk about it a little bit better just because of what you write each week for on paper and stuff. Yeah. DVO is definitely my favorite. And um, even, even at its most basic, which is where it's at right now, because it's not de- DVO OA stands for defense uh, adjusted value over expected. Um but it's not defensive adjusted. It's not defense adjusted, which basically means opponent adjusted. So that's the thing I like about it the most is like, okay, you gave up 200 rushing yards to the Eagles, but that's the Eagles. They're really, really good. So let's maybe right. scale that back and, and 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 put it in its proper context. That's what that stat does. But even without that, it puts every single play into context. It, you know, a, a six yard gain on a third and seven isn't worth as much as a two yard gain on third and one. Yeah, which makes sense, exactly. right? Right, like yeah. all that sort of stuff makes sense, but you don't see that in traditional box scores. Um, when you score a touchdown down thirty-five points, it doesn't count as much as scoring one down six points. And so, um, and I'm not just saying this with, because I'm about to lead into what the DVOA stats say about the Lions so far, which is that they're the ninth best team, the seventh best offense, I think, and and the twenty-third, I want to say, best defense. Which is, I I, I think that's a, that's fair though, right? Because you look at all like the the big stats, right? You look at you know, points allowed, you look at yardage allowed and, and this Lions defense looks like it's the exact same as it was last year. It looks horrible, but we all saw that first half last week. Right. And that matters. That matters. And it, and the fact that they gave up a lot of points at the end of the game, we can't throw it out and say, Oh, it's all garbage time points from, from Washington. I don't, I don't think that's accurate, but it also doesn't matter as much as it, if, if those points had come in the first half. And I think DVOA does a really good job kind of highlighting all of that and, and really, including what matters in a statistic, which is, which can be really hard to do. Yeah. The the situational stuff I think is really important that you pointed out because I think that's what makes it such a unique and uh, revealing stat for sure. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, do do we want to just touch on the fact that the lions are, (laughs) are ranked where they are in DVOA real quick? Because how long has it been? (laughs) How long has it been since the Lions have been talked about like this? And then and then the second part of that question is, are the Lions at 23rd in defensive DVOA? Is is that where they're at? I believe so. Let me let me double check really quick. Yeah, go ahead think, and double check. It's right around there. It's no, I'm sorry. I'm way off. It's 17th. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So prior, uh, he, here's, my, here's my ultimate question. If I told you that two weeks into the season, the Lions were an average – NFL defense and a top 10 offense in DVOA. Right. This is, I feel like we talked about this all off season. We were like, if they could get there, we're a hundred percent. And like, this is, this is a borderline playoff team if they get there. And so I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm, I don't think this is the 17th best defense, but if they play, if, if, if what we saw in that first half last week happens one or two more times, over the next before the bye week, then then suddenly you got me believing. And again, like as as much as I I raised my eyebrow when Kelvin Shepard said last week, like who can run on us between the tackles? I'm starting to believe, man. I really am because Malcolm Rodriguez is a dude. Yeah, he is. And Alex Anzalone is playing well too. And it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> but he and you know who the best the highest graded defender on the team is right now? Who is it? It's Chris Board. Their linebackers are playing so much higher than expectations, and with you know a, a fairly disruptive front. Again, I think I I think the the defensive line hasn't reached its its full potential yet. Like that changes so much. And Jeff Okuda is playing well. Tracy Walker is playing really well. They're they're getting a lot of really good individual performances on defense, and it's it's starting to turn me into a believer, which is again a little scary. Dude, I want to tell you right now too, and I don't know if it's just the the Honolulu Blue High that I'm that I'm riding right now. I have a strong strong sense that like Romeo Aquar is going to come back sometime this year. <laughs> it could change things, man. It 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 really could. I mean, I'm reading too much. This is a tinfoil hat thing. I am not <laughs> doing a good job representing Eric Schlitt right now. I am so sorry about that. Let's, no, you're let's, being optimistic. That's perfect. That's Eric. <laughs> My, I have a tinfoil hat theory that we can talk about in between segments, but go ahead. Uh, we want to get one more question in? No, let's take a break. Let's okay, let's take a right. let's take a cold shower here. I need uh, to. I think we're getting Ooh, a little power out of ra- power here. rankings DVOA. 
Oh my goodness. And when we come back, we're going to answer more of your Lions questions here live on Twitch, twitch.tv slash predator on the midweek mailbag. We'll be right back. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back to our midweek mailbag. I'm Jeremy here with a, uh, our, our, our special guest, Ryan Matthews, filling in for Eric Schlitt this week. Thanks again for joining us, Ryan. Appreciate it, buddy. Oh, yeah. Anytime, man. All right. Let's get back to the mailbag. Uh, Lantana, we, I've had a lot of Jeff Okuda questions, um, and, and understandably so. He asks, is Jeff Okuda considered back since he had two great games? Yeah, two great games, I think, for different reasons, too. Mm-hmm. Um, in game one against Philly, the guy was awesome. Uh, had a 82.8 tackle rating from PFF and had a 72.3 run defense rating. And I believe he was second in the team in tackles that day, just behind Tracy Walker. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that was super encouraging, right? Is to see like, oh, it's not just Jeff Okuda who's going to be the coverage guy he's going to be the complete package as he was kind of advertised when he was um when he was the lions pick in 2020 so like that's definitely a a facet of his game that the lions have to love right and then against the commanders jeremy he pretty much shuts down terry mclaurin when when him and terry are, are lined up across from one another yeah that's and that's that's no small task right um because I, I feel like a lot of times, on, on especially early in the game, when Washington was trying to go deep, Kurt, I mean, I don't want to call some of those sacks coverage sacks, but they, they kind of were in some sense. And I think Jeff Okuda deserves a, a, a lot of credit for it. You know, he earned a 72.1 coverage grade in that game. And and yeah, like McLaurin was mostly a non-factor in this game. I know that sounds weird since he finished with, what, 75 yards or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, this this was a Washington team, and, and I said it at, at the back of the last, like we're about to face this, this pretty good Washington set of receivers. I, I feel like the commanders were like Washington light and the lines passed that test. And, and Jeff Okuda de- deserves a lot of credit for that. He still hasn't gotten beat deep, which I think was, which should do a lot for his confidence. Right. Because I feel like that was something that we saw happen far too often in those first two years, including the, ver- the you know, the, the one game he played last year is he, you know, immediately gets beat deep and everyone's like, Oh my God, Jeff's horrible. Jeff's horrible. And, They've they've never been close to, to completing a deep one on him, right? He's 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 been pretty blanketed coverage on, on all those guys. And and the worst thing he's done really this entire season, I mean, he got a pass interference call that, that didn't end up counting because there was um, you know, penalties on both teams. But I mean, there was that missed tackle on, on Terry McLaurin that I think I mentioned during the POD cast that that almost turned into a big play. You, you hate to see that happen, but if that's the worst thing he's done through two weeks of the season and you're a corner, an NFL cornerback where bad things happen to you all the time, because that's just the nature of the position. You get, you got to feel pretty darn good. Like it, it's, it hasn't been perfect for Jeff Okuda, but in terms of like expectations for what, what we have to remember is like the 11th and 12th game of this guy's career, not to mention coming off of one of the most brutal injuries. I don't think expectations could have been higher than, than how he performed. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I would maybe argue that the worst thing that Jeff Okuda has done so far this season is not be on the field at the, the end the of cramps. the first half. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> against Philadelphia when Will Harris gave up that big completion to AJ Brown. So um, that that's where they're at though, right? Like the Lions need Jeff Okuda and they need Jeff Okuda to, you know, keep playing how he's playing right now. Fair enough. Uh, next question. We'll go back to Katie. I, I think this is a good question. Um, after two games, what position group needs the most improvement? I think this might sound wild because I'm on Ra's in a class of his own, but the pass catchers. Okay. I, th- I think the pass catchers need to improve. Um, the, the drops are, are, are troubling. Sure. I, I think, I think they are definitely concerning from the standpoint of at least everybody's had some case of the dropsies. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Amon Ra had it in game one against the, uh, against the Eagles Hawkinson. I mean, had a couple of passes that he normally catches. Uh, Swift had a drop. Um, you know, DJ had one in the first game. Yep. And Jamal had one in the first game. Um, you know, I think just as a whole, again, because, and this isn't my roundabout way to come back to like some Jared Goff slander, but it, it's that Jared Goff needs conditions to be perfect, right? And if players aren't catching passes on design plays, um, especially like when, when Goff starts moving out into space and they can't connect on those things, and they can't keep the ball moving, well, then all of a sudden the offense is going to go into those lulls that it's gone into for two straight games. Yeah. So I, I think the pass catchers, there's there's definitely room for improvement with 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 that group outside think, of Amon Ross St. Brown. I think that's a great answer, honestly. And, and it feels like it's a cliche sometimes when teams say like, oh man, we could add 50 today. But I feel like the Lions could add 50 in both games. Like, or like definitely the second game, maybe not so much the first game. Like, this team could and probably should have more points than, than they do. And it's, you know, it's important to remember that like they, they could have settled for a field goal instead of go for it on fourth down. And and they did, you know, they went for fourth down at the end of the end of the game too. So like they literally left points on the board to be a little more aggressive, which by the way, I think is awesome. I, I love, I love the aggressiveness really in both oh, games man. so far from, from Dan Campbell. And I, I, I was concerned that maybe that wasn't going to be a thing. Like remember, remember Ryan, like we, we were talking all off season, like, Okay, Dan Campbell was aggressive when this team was bad because he mm-hmm. had to be. But the fact that this team got aggressive when up twenty-two nothing against the Washington Commanders is like, hell yeah, buddy, let's ride. I mean, it's the MCDC experience, right? Like, <laughs> and, and it's so funny. So, Monster, um, as a real quick tangent, um, Monster, uh, former uh, staff writer here for for Pride of Detroit, awesome, awesome guy, awesome follow. He said on Twitter last night during the Monday Night Football game, oh, my God, like Lions versus Vikings week three is the biggest game for Detroit <laughs> since week 16 against the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2017 season. God, Do you remember that game? Of course I do. Okay. It was the one that got Jim Caldwell fired, essentially. And do you remember what three decisions got Jim Caldwell fired, I think? Oh, man. Did he Not- punt? He punted. He punted twice on fourth and one near midfield, and he didn't throw the challenge flag on that uh, Golden Tate. I do remember that, right? Yeah. So coach, coaching decisions, though, right? Like this might be tangential, but it's like this is the stuff that we've been waiting for for so long because that was the real reason why the Lions moved on from Jim Caldwell. Yeah. Um, I oh. don't think it had anything to. I don't think it really had a lot to do with player relations or anything, right? Like. You know, it, yeah. I mean, it was it was all. I mean, they they never won any big games, too, right? Like that was they they. It seems like they plateaued. It, it it's hard to say it was because of you know game management decisions, but I, I do feel like that played a big part in it, right? I mean, when you're playing such high competitive games against lo- high levels of competition, those things are magnified, right? Game of inches. The 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 margin for error is very very slim, and then when you compound that with coaching decisions. Yeah. You could be putting your team in a major hole at a 100%. major disadvantage. And the thing about Dan Campbell now is that we have confirmation that it's not just because he was trying to do everything he could to win a football game last year. No, like Dan Campbell is all about winning a football game on his terms. Yeah. And, and his yeah. terms are, I'm going to be, I'm going to be super aggressive, super aggressive. And I think that's something that a lot of people can get behind. All right, I want to go to uh, a next question. We 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 almost touched on it during our break, but I want to I want to talk about it now. A lot of people are asking about injury related questions, and while we don't have a ton of injury news other than um, 
you know, what, what Dan Campbell has given us on, on Monday, which is, you know, Hutch is, is fine. Doesn't sound like that's going to be a major issue. There does seem to be something going on with Charles Harris, which is something to keep an eye on. Um, but we're kind of still waiting on, on news for like, you know, Frank and, and, and Jonah, and those are, are kind of waiting things. John Kaminsky is, is another one to keep an eye on because it looks like he at least got x-rays uh, after the game. We don't know the the results of that. But I think the the larger point here is that what about the guys that we haven't even seen yet? What about Josh Pascal? What about Levi Onzerige? What about Romeo Quara, Jerry Jacobs, and, and obviously Jameson Williams? First off, Ryan, I, I mean, again, this is all going to kind of be speculation on our part. But one, how excited are you to maybe get these guys on the other end of the bye week, and, and do you have at least maybe an inclination of, of someone you feel like he might be ready week five, you know, after that four week window for the IR guys. Yeah. And, and to take that question and say like, which guy do I want to see back sure. most desperately? And it, it's tough. It's tough to make that decision because the lions have, they have depth, right. And especially these injured guys, if they can come back, it all of a sudden makes the lions a very scary team. I think right now, more so than anything, they need depth at cornerback. And that's why I think it's really important for Jerry Jacobs to come back. I I think if Jerry Jacobs can come back, then the Lions aren't operating on a razor's edge when it comes to cornerbacks week after week. Um, You don't have to worry about having Mike Hughes lined up against Terry McLaurin um, because that that came back to bite the Lions um, on Sunday. So I... I, I'm very encouraged and and I'm very excited to get some of these guys back um, because what it'll mean for, for the Lions moving forward. Um, I, I, I felt like I had a better question in mind for you, Jeremy, but like if there's, if there's a guy that can come back and, and another guy we didn't even mention a Fatu Malafonwu. Sure. Um, yeah. that, that he, I mean, there's been a lot of Juju Hughes and there's been some pretty good Juju Hughes, especially yeah. on special teams and stuff. But is, is there, is there just a guy that you think, Man, this makes the Lions unit that much better. I mean, Jamison Williams is the easiest answer, right? And like, we don't even know what that's going to look like. Because, I mean, if you're concerned about how DJ Chark has started, well, you you throw Jamison Williams in there and suddenly you don't even need to worry about it. Like DJ Chark, it will probably be a nice decoy or a nice guy who, you know, when eventually they have to shade guys over to JMO's side, maybe that's when he starts eating. Um but yeah, he, I mean, he just has the possibility to change everything about this offense and I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, but again, that, that might be something that, that is a little bit further down the line. I don't think we see him because since he's a rookie, right. With, with no practice, like even a guy like Josh Pascal, at least he got a little work in this off season. We, we got nothing from JMO. So I, I would be surprised to see him before November. Um, but yeah, so for, for the guys that, that we might see in October or, you know, probably late October at this point, um, I think Pascal is one of the more interesting ones. I don't, I don't really get a sense of, of how close he is to returning, but if, if Kaminsky is out for, for an extended period of time, that's kind of a natural plug and play right there, which, which is nice. Um, yeah, that big, that big edge role. Yeah. Right. But unfortunately, I mean, there's still like a two, three week potential gap in there, maybe, maybe even longer where, where you might not have either, which I don't, I don't really have the best answer there as to what mm-hmm. you do. Um, Cause Kaminsky has been low key, one of the better defenders on the team so far. Um, and then, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I don't. Here's the thing with Iffy. I think he probably returns this week, but I don't know what his role is. And I, I think I said this during the offseason. I don't like. Where do you plug him in? I don't yeah. think he has a role on defense right away. I think it might just be special teams. And are is, is that? Are you gonna? I don't know. Who do you who do you knock off the the game day roster? Chase probably gets knocked off. I guess. Maybe yeah. Um, or Juju Hughes. Um, yeah. Maybe it's just a straight swap of safeties, but. I think I think if he could just be a situational guy, you know what I mean? Like matchups um, yeah. when, when they want to throw an extra safety out there to, to do their, True. their, their two safety looks or their three safety looks. So we have, we have, we have almost seen none of that so far. Like, I know they've not been using Juju at all. How much of that do you think is personnel based? It might, it's a good point. It, it might just be another, you know, element to their defense that they can't really pull out until they have the right guys out there. So, yeah, I, um, I mean, if there's one thing we know about the lines is they're they're going to match their personnel, or their their scheme to their personnel, right? And so if they don't have, you know, if Atu Melifanu and they think he can do something very specific, they're not going to try to just put Juju in there and do something different. Yeah, agreed. That's a good point. 
Uh, all right, let's move to a new question here. Uh, <laughs> any, we're not going to talk about Lamar Jackson rumors because there's there's nothing to them. I would say it's very silly at this point in the offseason. As much yeah. as I want to dream about Lamar Jackson, the, the truth is they're going to franchise tag that guy if, if they can't come to a deal, and he's never coming to Detroit. As much as I like to joke about it all the time, he's never coming to Detroit. Yeah, no, it's not happening. You're supposed to like say no, but what if no? All right. No, no, Shoot. come on, darn it. Hey, I said <laughs> I said the Lions are getting good luck, and it's just because they're like not going to have to deal with a lot of injuries moving forward. I'm not going to say good luck that they're going to hit the lotto at quarterback. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Hot Soup has a good question here. It says, it's been amazing to see the drives in, in TDs this season. Do you think that they're, that the ability of our running backs and push from the O-line is the main reason for that? I think it has a lot to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for as for as much as everyone wants to bag on Logan Sandberg, and he's certainly not, um, he's certainly not far from reproach when it comes to saying that his game has had an impact on the Lions' ability to do things on offense, right? Like yeah. his his ability in pass sets has been very, very bad. And it's something that he would even say that I, I think he would admit that he needs to clean up. But as a as a run blocker, holy moly, man. Like that guy, as you said, Jeremy, I think you pointed this out in the um in a, in a tweet, but it's like this is why Logan Senberg's gonna keep playing moving forward. Like I get it. Like he, you know, Follows up a week where he gets a zero pass blocking grade from PFF with a grade of 4.0. So I guess any improvement is improvement. But what he does to linebackers at the second level is startling. It's it, it's always been kind of the 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 scouting report on him, right? Is just he's this crazy mauler guy who's gonna you know take you to the ground and and and, and stay on you. And I don't know, like. <sighs> If, if there's one thing that concerns me about the offense, it's that it's that. And I know it's a very specific thing to be concerned about, but Jared Goff is not a good quarterback under pressure. Most quarterbacks aren't. And mm-hmm. and with the way Logan is getting beat, and it's not just that he's getting beat, is he, is he getting beat quick? Blown by. That has the potential to give up a, a game-changing play. And we, we, we saw Jared Goff have a ton of fumbles last year. To his credit, he hasn't done it this year. But yeah. but it's 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 one of those things that kind of hanging in the back of your head. Like, is eventually this going to be a, a disastrous play? And I just like I kept waiting for it to happen during that Washington game because he was just getting beat over and over again. I'm like, at some point he's going to be get beat. The guy's going to hit Jared Goff's arm and it's going to be going in the other direction. Yeah the the thing that I just keep on seeing in my head as you're illustrating defenders just shooting into the, the Lions' backfield is when Jared Goff does the super slow-mo turn. He almost did it. He, no, he, 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 he did do it he last game He tried to once. do it last game. Yes. He didn't he even did. get far. No, he just basically turned around and took the sack <laughs> rather than taking he it. He sure did. Which, honestly, <laughs> if I'm a quarterback, that's how I want to take my sacks. I want somebody <laughs> yeah. to hit me from my back and put me down that way rather than slam me on my back. Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Anyways. Uh... uh Oh, Next question. <laughs> well, the, I, I was going to say, so the red zone stuff is a little interesting because three rushing touchdowns in week one, yeah. all passing touchdowns in week two. And so I think that shows maybe a little bit of balance. And honestly, the most impressive red zone touchdown, I think was last week. And again, it was that, that touchdown drive. No, it was, it was a different drive. It was the Josh run. It, the lines get into a goal to go situation. Oh, yeah. First down. I think they're running the entire drive. And they pull off just a beautiful play action to, to Josh Reynolds in the back of the end zone. That's, I mean, that's, that's what, ha- that's, I, I know there's, there's statistics out there that say, you know, having a good run game doesn't make path play action more effective, but in the red zone, I think it does matter a little bit, right? Because if you're a team that has this identity of we're going to be a run team, we're going to pound the rock. And then you okie doke them in the red zone. Like that play works. That's how you score touchdowns in the red zone. How often do those play action passes work? Cause it feels like it's like an 85% success rate sometimes. And, and with a team that again, the line's identity is, is trying to be this running team and, and you score three running touchdowns in, in the opening week. Well, yeah, of course, Washington's going to bite extra hard on that play action. Yeah. And, and I think even taking it back to Philly though, like when it's not just a traditional, Hey, we're going to hand the ball off to our running back like Jamal Williams and have him just try to plow forward. It's we're going to do a pitch. And Jonah Jackson's yeah, pulling. Right. 
And and I mean like that. Yeah. I mean like getting creative just in the, in the red zone when it comes to how you're going to approach things, because I do think that teams will look at the lions and say, Hey, they want to be a power run team. If, if they can okie doke them, as you said, in, in the red zone, that's, that's going to be huge. Yeah. Ben Johnson, man, he's yeah. the, the trending up for him. I, I, I want to ask you though, like when it comes to short yardage situations, are you still feeling like Jamal's the answer versus Craig? It's an interesting question. Cause so Jamal's been fine so far, but the one thing I don't think I've seen him do is make the first guy miss like at all. No, like, I feel like his yards after contact has to be extremely small. I, I, I don't, yeah, it, it isn't. Yeah. It's not a very big number, but the other thing too is like, I don't think Jamal's ever been that guy, right? Like he's not really. always, he's always been the, I'll give you my shoulder guy. But it can be kind of frustrating to watch right now because the offensive line is opening these massive holes and you see Swift make the first guy miss all the time and turn those seven yard runs into 20 yard runs. Jamal just like puts his head down and falls forward, which I mean, it's still like eight, nine yard, eight yard, eight yard runs, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is not, it's not a bad run, but it's, you, you just think like, oh man, if Swift was in there, he might still be running. Right. And, yeah. and Craig too, like Craig's a little bit more shifty. He's, he's still kind of a, a physical back, but when it comes to th- when it comes to these third and short situations, it almost feels like the blocking, like the running back, almost is irrelevant sometimes. Like yeah. just just run forward because this, there's a hole there. Just just run through the hole. I don't I don't care if you fall backwards, fall forwards. Like there's enough room there with how well this offensive line is playing that I, I don't care. I don't care who's in there. Just get it right. Yards after contact per attempt. Jamal Williams one point nine six. DeAndre Swift five point three five. There you go. Craig Reynolds, 4.33. There you go. So maybe, I mean, maybe we see a little bit more Craig. I, I think the only reason really so, we saw him last week was just because, you know, Swift was extremely limited, but we know they like him a lot. Swift might be limited moving forward. Like, I, I'm kind of interested. On a week to week basis. Do you think that they could pitch count him? Certainly. Every I once mean, in a while? Oh, for sure. No question. And and I think I think they want to. They, you know, last year we we saw them do it in the preseason, right? We saw them do it in training camp, like really try to protect him there. And it's unfortunate that they're they're already kind of having to resort to that. But I think they know how special Swift is, and Swift has proven how special he is in in these first two games. My my theoretical question here is: Let's say they, you know, they're like Swift, the the knee or the ankle. I'm sorry, is is swelled this week. Who who's who becomes your like number one? Because I I think I know what you want the answer to be and and maybe it is for them but we haven't seen him yet do you think i mean justin jackson might have like the most close skill set to what swift does would do you think they might consider doing that with him i think justin jackson would get a lot of play yeah i'm i'm not sure if because there's a thing i think they know about their offensive line especially when it's at full strength that they can make those blocks at the second level and we can have explosive plays out of the run game. I don't think you're going to, I mean, you can probably count the amount of explosive plays that Jamal Williams has had in his career, maybe like on one hand. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's no discredit to him. Like, I think he's an awesome runner in terms of what he can do. Like we're, we're poo-pooing on a guy who like runs hard and, yeah. you know, touchdowns, scores I mean, that touchdowns, first, that touchdown he had in week one where he just completely stonewalled. It was like, okay, I'll just go out here. Boop. You know, like just through the, through the old right hook at him. But like the, the thing is, is I think that they just want to be multidimensional. And I think that, like you said, Jeremy, like that's just who they want to be week to week. Right. We can throw any of these guys at you. So. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's close this thing out with one more question. I think I'll go back to uh, Twitter. Actually, no, let, let's, let's stay here. Um, Let's, let's talk about the Vikings game a little bit because I want to, uh, I'm just going to kind of ask a, a more general question. How much more confidence do you have in the Lions in this week going on the road, their first road game against a divisional opponent, against a team that they almost beat twice last year? I think we have to remember. Um, After watching the Eagles handle them pretty much that entire game. And one of the cool, one of the most interesting things I thought happened in that game is the Eagles almost handed that game away twice in the second half and and the Vikings couldn't do anything with it. They they get a blocked punt. They get a, a deep interception and turn that into zero points. So for a Vikings team that dominated the Packers in week one, and suddenly you're like, oh, these guys could win the division. How much less 
of an imposing team are they, do you know? I don't... All right, so reading what you wrote today um, over at Pride of Detroit about just the Lions' chances in the NFC North, yeah, right? Like, you're still very much of the belief that the Packers are the team to go through. Like, yes. Yeah, I mean, what was it? It was like since 2000... 11 or yeah. 2010 they've won eight division titles something like that yeah yeah i mean okay like the north just goes through them right yeah um i know that i'm really not concerned about the bears and i think we just need to throw that out there and acknowledge <laughs> that at any point in time sure <laughs> i, I, I think we're that. i think we're officially back to hashtag we own the Bears season this year <laughs> sure. um but with that being said the vikings i think are still a dangerous team because i think any offense that has Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, I mean, that's just something you have to worry about no matter what. Yeah. Now, I think it's their defense. I think it's the Vikings' defense that is going to have to step up for them. I know I, I saw the tweet last night, like Harrison Smith. I know that he was being evaluated for – He did indeed suffer a concussion, yeah. Yeah, for a head injury. So that's something to monitor, especially with them playing on a short week now yep. uh, in terms of the turnaround. So – it, it's it's about the Vikings, and I know they have a young secondary. And what can the Lions dial up against them? And I, and I know that's just a hey, how how confident do we feel about the Lions going into Week Three? But like you said, Jeremy, this is a team that the Lions almost beat twice last year. They did beat once, but they almost beat them twice. And I definitely think that the Lions are in the mix for the NFC North. I'm not saying that they're going to win it. Uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's going to be decided, you know, at the end of December, but it definitely feels a lot more open than it's felt in the past. Uh, how many years? A while, yeah. a while, a while. Uh, worth noting that uh, the DraftKings sportsbook line on this game dropped from seven and a half before Monday night football to six where it stands currently, which still seems maybe a little bit high, but um, we'll see. I think, yeah. I think we'll leave it at that. I think we'll, we'll leave it at, we'll see. Um, stick with us. We'll have our, uh, our Lions Vikings preview podcast with, yes, you asked for him. Arif Hassan will be joining us Thursday night live here on our Twitch channel. Uh, we'll be on your podcast feed on Friday and up on YouTube later in the week as well. But until then for Ryan, for myself, for all of you Lions fans, thank you for joining us. It's chaos. Be kind.